0: Hello and welcome to OPG Inspire, your source of the latest in organizational development, innovative leadership, and the tools you need to make a better world. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please share it and leave a review on your podcast app. Today, our episode features an interview that I did over a month ago with Kaywin Feldman, an American archaeologist and director of the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. Kaywin is the first woman ever to hold this position and has done so since March 2019, I was able to record this interview just prior to her transition from being president and director of the Minneapolis Institute of Art, where her innovative leadership fundamentally transformed how arts organizations can be run across the United States. Just a heads up, as she was on the move, my interview with Kaywin was done remotely. So you may notice a small drop in the sound quality at points. With that, I hope you enjoy the interview. Kaywin is a dynamic and inspirational leader and it was a pleasure speaking with her.
1: I just wanted to start with you telling us a bit about where you have been recently and what you've been up to in all this recent transition.
2: So I have um, two weeks left as the director of the Minneapolis Institute of Art and will be um, on my way uh, to Washington, D.C. to head up the uh, National Gallery of Art, which is a huge honor and um, an opportunity I'm extremely excited about. So it's been a, an, a, an exciting time, but of course, it's also bittersweet. I'm very sad to be leaving the Twin Cities and this incredible museum here, as well as the terrific staff. I will miss everyone so much.
1: Now this new job position sounds really exciting, but how different will it be from anything else that you've done before uh, in respect to your previous uh, positions?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've worked at this will be my fourth museum um, to run in my career and have uh, so steadily worked at larger institutions. And so the uh, National Gallery of Art is um, significantly larger than um, NIA. but um, I think the difference that uh, I find most exciting and interesting is the fact that it's the nation's art museum. and um, I'm looking forward to really exploring what does it mean to be the museum of our incredible Um, nation, and uh, how the museum can even build on the work it's already been doing to serve um, our country.
1: Now, that is a really interesting concept, because it seems that our nation is constantly changing. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, what kind of vision have you been thinking about? Okay, well, I'm going to come into this new space uh, in a nation that has a changing population, has a changing. Uh, uh, you know energy on, on it seems like on a day-to-day basis does the museum reflect that or does it reflect something bigger a higher ideal that we aim for
2: yeah I think a, a couple of responses there Um, you know the first being that you know my job is um, as soon as I arrive to learn the institution to understand the um, values of the institution the ways that the staff execute the mission on a daily basis, and to hear more about the dreams and hopes of the staff and board and stakeholders. So I'm going to be spending my first um, at least six months intensively listening and asking questions and learning uh, so that I can figure out how I can best uh, lead the organization. But the second part of your question, I think, about a changing America is also um, terribly important and relevant. And I do a lot of public speaking and a lot of um, speaking to uh, other boards of uh, art museums around the country. And I don't give a single talk these days without talking about the changing demographics of America and um, particularly highlighting this date of, of around 2043 when we expect that America will be a majority people of color country. And of course that's already true in children under the age of 18 and how museums, what an incredible opportunity it is for museums. It, and um, and that it's an opportunity we have to all really embrace and be figuring out today because uh, 2043 will be too late.
1: So let's bring it back to your work at MIA because one, uh, one kind of shining, detail about your leadership at MIA is that you seem to do a lot of work transitioning the focus uh, a little bit away from acquiring a lot of art to developing rich programming and community events and building a massive massive digital presence so how did you lead the organization to do this especially when you're working with more complicated factors like a board of trustees
2: yeah um I have to in full disclosure um admit that I am as acquisitive as any other museum director or curator and that um we have continued to to acquire great works of art for the collection and it's great fun and it's exciting and interesting and one of the real joys of my job is to work with curators in um researching and discovering these great objects so in full disclosure we have continued to acquire quite actively okay, good, here yeah, at NIA. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, um, but there is this larger point that um, I often think about is that the 20th century was really the time of growth for museums in America. And it's the, the hundred years where we look at huge building campaigns. And here in Minneapolis, we have a 500,000 square foot building that is actually six buildings all um, make up this one facility. And um, that all happened in 100 years um, that we grew to that five. And our collection is now at 100,000 objects. And again, um, that represents 100 years worth of uh, growth. And I do believe that the 21st century is going to be all about what we do with these collections. And so the emphasis is gonna move away from growth, from buildings and collections, to how we really engage our communities with these objects that we hold in trust. And I um, believe profoundly that art has always mattered to humanity and you can go back to cave paintings to see that that's the case. And that um, art will always be important to people. I don't ever worry about the art, the role of art diminishing. And so it's our job to really be able to think about these 21st century Americans who are also very different. They're different in their behavior. They're different consumers. They're different museum visitors. the people who came in the 20th century and so it's up to museums to really sort of um better understand those audiences and change and adapt and um so the um we've had a great emphasis here at NIA on uh, programming and how to really connect the community with the collection and i think uh, just one final example of this changed moment is that um we had a very generous uh, patron who left us a bequest in his um, estate, And um, his um, father had helped found the uh, Minneapolis Institute of Art and had started by giving us this fantastic collection of Japanese art, which formed some of the basis of the great collection that we have today. And um, when um, this his son, this, the patron that I worked with, was doing his estate planning, we talked a lot about the significant gift he wanted to make and and we started off talking about an an endowment for art acquisition which is really the way we would have done it in the past and the more we um, spoke about it we ended up um, making this endowment fund a fund that the proceeds would be used to enhance the understanding and appreciation of Asian art history and culture and I think that fund really reflects this change that we have this incredible collection. We don't have a a really significant um, Asian population in um, the Twin Cities. And so um, we really wanna think about how we can connect the collection, how we can help from little toddlers to senior citizens and program and really make sure that this collection is being used and understood and appreciated um, to its fullest.
1: So it really does seem that, you know, having the art and having and recognizing that it does have a role in our humanity and our history and the way that we understand culture um all these factors are are so important but it also seems that you uh used uh Mia as a resource for the local community as well a place a center of cultural and community gathering um tell me a little bit about the the thought process behind this
2: yes um So here um, in the Twin Cities, we uh, don't receive a huge tourist population, especially this time of year with a couple of feet of snow outside and 10-degree temperatures. And so um, our museum really is a museum that's focused on the community. And... um, And when I first arrived here and um, did my first uh, strategic plan with the institution, I was able to really learn firsthand that the number one value of our museum is accessibility. We really care about people being able to come here with no barriers to enjoy and appreciate the collection at whatever level or um, type of collection they want to, to explore and that that this was so important to us that it really directed so much of our work. And we have free admission here, which is one demonstration of that accessibility and I feel is vitally important to making art um, truly accessible and a part of a a, um, real community experience. But we also think about accessibility across the institution, certainly physical accessibility. I wanna make sure that we are fully physically accessible to all of our visitors of all um, age ranges and and abilities. Um, We think about it in terms of our didactics and interpretation and how we um, communicate the collection. And and also, of course, with our programming and um, think about um, our role within the community and then I think the sort of second response is how important it is to develop really authentic and long-term collaborative projects. And museums, I think, too often in the past were—you know—we'd use this phrase outreach—that we're going to go out and do things for other people. And um, and and that phrase really isn't used anymore because it's it's really about collaboration now. And so. We have um, lots of community partners, a few that we work with um, intensively and and others less regularly, but but still um, on a continual basis. And and we work together to think about the needs of our audiences and how we can actually um, leverage our resources and make a bigger impact by working together. And so it's been a really successful model for us that um, again, it's authentic because it's, it's absolutely true to who we are and what kind of community museum we are.
1: Now, when you r- are talking about accessibility, you know, one thing that com- springs to my mind is also cultural accessibility. Uh, Minneapolis has a diverse population, and you've been praised uh, in the way that you've developed programming to bring in communities like the immigrant community from Minneapolis to build trust and, and creating beneficial programs for, for, for everyone. Can you tell me a little bit about that work?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. When I first moved here, um, the staff and I um, sort of struggled with the fact that our museum is really tucked in a neighborhood, so we're not in the center of downtown. And I used to look so enviously at the um, Walker Art Center, which is um, quite close to us and is a terrific museum. And they're located on a really busy street, and I used to envy their visibility on the busy street. And as I came to understand our community and understand the neighborhood we're located in, I realized um, what an incredible asset and benefit it is that we're located in a neighborhood. We have people all around us who live here, who care about the, the streets, they care about the museum, they care about our immediate neighborhood. And, and of course, if you care about accessibility, taking the barrier of transportation away is the easiest way to make the museum accessible. So people can just walk um, here from the, from the neighborhood. And so um, we've really focused, uh, a third of our current strategic plan is, is really focused on better engagement with our actual neighborhood. And, um, and our neighborhood is one of the most diverse in the Twin Cities. And specifically right around the museum, we have a very large population of recent immigrants from Somalia. And, uh, and we have a large African collection. So it's been really exciting and, and fun to engage with the community and um, uh, do programming. Um, we recently did a, an exhibition called I am Somali with um, three Somali artists from our community. And um, it was great fun because one is an, an elder in the community, one is sort of middle-aged and one was a really young woman. And um, they, they had three completely different perspectives, of course, and it was exciting to see their work in the community together. And, of course, we had all of the text in both English and Somali. And uh, and so I think projects like that helped to build the, the trust and uh, participation with the community. And then I'm, I'm so proud of our, our staff because um, we are just in the process now of Um, creating a um, multi-faith prayer and reflection room um, here at the museum. And um, of course it's open to all, but it's also in recognition of the fact that we are in the middle of a community of Somalis who um, use the museum and come, and we wanna make a special space available to them for regular uh, prayer times. And of course we also have Somali staff members um, and um, and I, I again stress that it's, it's open to everyone, but I think that's a case where there are a lot of museums that don't need to have a prayer room like that, but we do because we are in the midst of this community.
1: Of course, I have to bring it back to the National Gallery of Art in this conversation. You know, we, I think, uh, in the United States are constantly fighting against uh, certain stigmas against immigration and against immigrants, so how do you turn this sort of experience that you've had at MIA into a more of a national dialogue?
2: Well, certainly I'll have to see, I you know, don't know yet, um, but every museum that I've, I've worked in, um, we have really sort of embraced the community and um, tried to understand what it means to be a community asset. And so when I moved to DC, obviously there is also a great community in DC. And so I'm excited to learn about, um, the region and how we can better serve the region. And then um, as you say, I think that the National Gallery of Art is a place for um, national dialogue and these really interesting conversations about what it means to be an American in the 21st century.
0: So
1: I want to talk a little bit about your, your leadership. You know, it's from every person that I've spoken to, you have a dynamic, optimistically calm affect when you lead and, uh, <laughs> even in the face of complicated problems. So, you know, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Do you have, uh, do you have a bit of a, a mantra or an ethos that you use when you approach leadership and approach difficult experiences? And even if there are different conversations, even if that it kind of translates itself into an experience or a memory that you have.
2: Yeah, I think that I've, I've been a director now for, for 25 years. And with that experience, I'm very comfortable in being who I am and being authentic. And I do bring, a, I think, a warmth and a sense of humor uh, to the work that I do, and it's certainly, I think, infectious across the institution. And our great leadership team members here share that same kind of uh, perspective and outlook. And um, I, I'm struck that I have two great loves: it's people and art, and uh, and my husband, of course, and cats. Um, <laughs> but the um, and art keeps a great place for that intersection of people and art, and so um, I think my passion for the mission and um, an interest in um, other people and sort of curiosity helps to drive that kind that that type of leadership.
1: Now, when you are leading, you have multiple leaders b- beneath you. You know, uh, what kind of relationships do you cultivate with your leadership team at a museum? Um, how can you how do you encourage others to bring in those those, that, that warmth and that humor and that comfort with, uh, with their, own, their own skills.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that um, in all the museums that I've run that board members will say about me is that I hire really well. And I, I think that I, I, I do hire well. It's never a perfect science, but um, I, I'm good at, at spotting talent. And, um, and I'm so proud and honored to work with the talent that we have here at NIA. And so then it's, it's you know, it's um, the sort of saying of, of getting the right people in the right seats on the bus and from, from the book Good to Great. And so getting the right people is the sort of first step and then um, working to really understand their um, interests and abilities and um, strengths and, and weaknesses that we can work on together and then remain in constant conversation. And, of course, I like to um, empower the team. Um, They know I think that I'm always available for a deep dive if they need counsel or uh, really have a a, a knotty problem that they want to um, unpack with me. But I'm also the first one to say, you know, I support your decision. Um, So it's that balance of being supportive and present, but also letting them run with uh, projects.
1: Now, as a marketing guy, I have to give you big props. You're really prolific on social media. Uh, <laughs> I love your Twitter account, and one of my favorite parts about it is that you give a wonderful behind-the-scenes look into the art world um, when you're unpacking some of the objects or you're getting ready to to put up some sort of exhibit. And uh, you know, it reminds me of. How much more technology we're seeing in museums it's not just pictures on the wall but there's interactive exhibits there's all kinds of cool virtual reality uh that we're seeing so how important do you think this this kind of uh engaging technology is for the work especially when we're just often talking about static objects that are right there in front of you uh is it a distraction or is it engaging people
2: yeah, I'm, of course, a big fan of technology um, with the recognition that it is merely a tool and that that great work of art on the wall is the most important thing. And technology is just how we can help to um, track it, to uh, make it accessible, to um, uh, fuel curiosity in our visitors. So um, I, I I heard a talk a number of years ago by the... Um, uh, thought leader, uh, Jaron Lanier, and um, he was giving advice to museum directors about uh, museums and technology. And I've never forgotten what he said, which is that museums should operate on three different levels simultaneously. And he really stressed that you, you couldn't do one and not the other two, that, that, that they ha- you have to do all three simultaneously. And he advocated for having what he called habitual technology. So in our world today, you know, Wi-Fi would be habitual technology. We have to make it accessible and easy for people. He said, have a space with no technology. You know, just take it away, be really hard about it. And um, he, he was referring to appealing to the people who want to um, escape, uh, escape stress, who uh, want to go to an analog world, and um, so an area of no technology. And then he said, have a place with really, really cutting edge technology. Don't invest in it, Work with, partner with your local university or somebody else, um, and that you have to do all three simultaneously. And um, we've taken that advice to heart here. And one of the high tech things that we've done um, is a three year partnership with um, 3M, to do an art and technology prize. And it's been a really rewarding experience where we invite proposals um, from um, what tend to be young smart geeks uh, to do it, an innovative kind of technology project here in the museum. Um, our latest one that we just unveiled is a really great puzzle room uh, that visitors can download the app and go through the galleries. And um, it's, it's, it's excellent. So, um, So we do try to operate on those different levels and then also make the technology pervasive. So um, in our galleries, we wanna make sure that the art is central in what you're really looking at. And we've moved the technology off the walls to iPads, um, attached to comfy seating in the galleries. And so um, we want you to really look at that object, but if you have interest and curiosity, we want you to run with it. So we offer lots and lots of content and stories and videos and ways that you can sort of dive deep, but we also make that same content available on our website, recognizing that maybe you want to go home and digest and play around um, in your PJs in front of the fire. So um, we so try to think about technology um, as that that tool. Um, I used to I tease our um, fantastic uh, chief information officer here, Douglas Hegley. That when he first started and we were working on the um, strategic plan, um, the trustees would constantly we'd talk about ideas and they somebody would stick their hand up and go, "I know the answer is technology." So that was <laughs> the answer to everything. And I teased Douglas that he was dabbing sweat off his upper lip. Uh, and and Douglas is the first one to say that. Um, you don't have a tech strategic plan, you have a strategic plan and technology supports your, strate- your strategy.
1: I love that concept of fueling curiosity about the art with good yep. tools like technology. Yeah. That's a beautiful idea.
2: Yeah. And and actually that leads to me to another co- a comment is, um, you know, frequently asked, um, particularly by the media, questions like what will be, um, well, how much will museums change in the next 20 years? And my answer is always, um, you know, everything's going to change and nothing's going to change. And nothing's going to change because the the work of art is sacred. It has an integrity that we will always show that work and allow it to have its own presence and power and um, impact. Um, it, It will be there for people. And if people want to just sit on that, bench and spend 20 minutes enjoying it quietly by themselves that will always be there and be an option. I'm certain of it. So what changes though is this technology. It's the access to more information to trying to um, inspire that curiosity for lifelong learning. It's all of the programs and the events and activities and the ways that the museum really engages um, with the contemporary world And, and that's certainly has changed and will continue to change, but the works of art will remain sacred.
1: You're in Minneapolis right now. Tell me a little bit about your timeline in transition to the National Gallery of Art. Is that something that's happening over the next month or so, or is it kind of a flexible
2: I'm down to transition? weeks now. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my last day at NIA is March the 1st, and my first day in Washington is March 11th. And um, I haven't figured out yet how I'm going to get there. So I'll either be driving a car or flying. Um, but uh, it's coming up soon.
1: Well, as a, as a lover of art museums, I have to say thank you for all that you've done for Mia. I'm excited to visit there myself uh, someday in the future. And uh, definitely come visit the National Gallery of Art. Um, Kim, is there anything else that you'd like to to tell our listeners about? Any events coming up either for either museum?
2: You know, actually, I actually, I would love to um, just uh, mention two exhibitions that we're doing at MIA next year that I think um, hearken to, to the conversation that we've had and, and reflect some of our conversation. And one is an exhibition that's opening this um, spring called Hearts of Our People. And it's a unique project because it's an exhibition examining Native American art through the lens of gender, because um, something that most Native artists Um, And scholars know is that throughout history, the majority of Native American art was made by women, and yet it's never been talked about through that lens, and there's never been an exhibition saying, what does it mean if most of your culture was made by women? And uh, so this is the first exhibition with that theme, but also the process, because our curator, um, who's not a Native American, but she collaborated with a Native American artist named uh, Terry Greaves and um, so Jill and Terry put together an advisory board of about 20 Native American artists and scholars from across the country and helped shape the show together and again I think it's really unique to, to do an exhibition out of a collaborative process. It's usually the solitary genius, you know, sitting in their office thinking big thoughts and um I was so skeptical at first that you could even develop an exhibition in a collaborative way. And they have absolutely done it. And um, you know, the 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 advisory board came up with working with the curators, the, the big themes and the con the ideas of the content, and then the curators have visited museums across the country to select the actual objects. Um, so that's a really, I think, innovative and exciting show this summer and um Minneapolis is fortunate to have a large Native American population. So we're excited about the programming and things we'll do with our community. Um, And then um, we have an exhibition the following um, spring that is focused on art and migration. And I think again, will really resonate in our community of thinking about um, what does it mean to be an immigrant in America today? And we talk about immigrants today, but, living here in a population that's heavily um, of um, Scandinavian and German heritage, there's also a, you know, it's a theme of America. And so there's some really broad conversations we'll be able to have um, that are relevant across the community.
1: Those sound fantastic.
2: So you should come during those exhibitions.
1: (laughs) Oh, fabulous. Thank you. Well, Kaywin, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I I wholeheartedly wish you the best of luck in the transition, but uh, we're going to really look forward to keeping our eye on you and what you do over there at the National Gallery of Art.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: All Good right.
2: Thank you, yourself. Kevin. Okay. Thanks.
0: okay. Bye-bye. That was my interview with Kaywin Feldman, Director at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C. If you're in the area, I encourage you to visit the museum, which is open to the public and free of charge. One key concept that I took away from my interview with Kaywin was her idea of being an asset to your surrounding community and recognizing your community as an asset in return. Often we see businesses solely existing or utilizing a location without bringing initiatives that uplift the community around them and without asking themselves what it means to be a part of that community. Showing cultural accessibility and representation is important as it allows for businesses to collaborate with the local population and create a stronger ecosystem of people, families, and businesses. The more we fuel curiosity with open conversation, long-term collaborative projects, and a true dedication to bringing a better community, the better the return will be for everyone involved. So, get started. Talk to the people on your street and see what they're up to. Who knows, maybe you'll find a person or a friend to join you on your next visit to the local museum. With that, this is Robert Roach signing off.